11. Let's now open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. Our verse begins with uh, chapter, 18, cha uh, chapter 18, verses 13 through 27. I have to say, uh, as, we, as we come to, as we're approaching Mount Sinai here, and uh, God's covenant with Israel, the Mosaic covenant, uh, I want to spend a little extra time. There's just so much confusion in the evangelical world today regarding the place of the law in, in the Christian life. And so I want to deal with the subject a little more closely and uh, uh, find more application. And I say this because the confusion is no longer merely contained to denominations that have a different system of theology. The, the Westminster Confession of Faith and its, and its catechism has a system, it contains a, the system of theology that is contained in the scriptures. The scriptures are, have a unified agreement with one another, where things fit nicely, organically, and because the, the mind of God is one, and he's very orderly, and he's most thoughtful, and he's very, very consistent. So, uh, obviously, when he expresses his will, uh, his will in his word ought to have that consistency, uh, the compatibility, that harmony. Uh, unfortunately, we're seeing more and more confusion uh, with well-meaning but, but hurtful theologies. And uh, so we're going to spend a little extra time uh, camping, as it were, uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai, and uh, perhaps even in the ascent, we might enjoy a little bit of fellowship there with the with Moses and the elders at the table. <laughs> so, uh, look forward to that, and I hope that you will resolve to be here. Uh, um, it is not an easy it's not an easy uh, book to preach to today's church, not at all. And so, I, I covet your prayers. Exodus 18, uh, beginning with verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice." and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is far reading God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord, once again, help, help us who delight to do your will, that we might uh, be more delightful to you, might be more pleasing to you, uh, and judge us, Lord, uh, that is to say, uh, show us the better way uh, from uh, the ways of our own native heart and lead us in the way everlasting. You are the sole king, the, the true judge of your Israel. We give you the glory for it. 
Grant us wisdom, Lord, as your, as your servants, we pray in Christ. Amen. If you are at all in dialogue with, with people in your neighborhood and in your communities, or just people you meet casually in the streets and the airports, you will eventually, I hope, bring up the subject of faith. I always, always find it refreshing that every road leads to Rome. In my case, I'm kind of a, a maniac when getting to, uh, to talk about the Lord. But uh, when, when it comes to religion, people uh, have a lot of misconceptions. One of the things that they bring up a lot, very, very commonly, is, well, no, I, I have strong faith. I believe in God. Don't, don't get me wrong. But uh, I just... Um, I just don't believe in institutionalized religion. And uh, I said, that's very interesting. But uh, it's, it's apparent from the reading of the Bible that the Lord loves institutional religion. And here in the book of Exodus, he's spending a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, communication to Moses as to how that church is to be instituted. And this is because God is a God of order. And everything that he made in creation has its place. The garden was a, was a structured garden. Outside of the garden was a wilderness. And he left that for men, for men created in his image and their knowledge and their skill to bring into order. That's basically how the Lord viewed his initial creation, Adam and Eve, in, in the garden. And this church, his church, even in the Old Testament, is a new creation. That is to say, they. what I have been saying all along is uh, the people of God have been taken from Egypt as a type of a dark world, uh, a type of, of death. Egypt represents death. They passed through the waters uh, and they were baptized into the cloud of, of uh, uh, the, the cloud uh, pillar and the, and the cloud of fire. And, and so they were carried along. They were carried along from death into life and as it were, uh, they, by trusting in Jehovah, many believed, truly believed, unto eternal salvation. Uh, they were friends with God. Moses was a, a friend with God. And Moses appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration there, uh, along with Elijah, and, uh, and met there with, with Jesus and was familiar with Jesus, the Son of God. So what, I, what I'm saying here is, as the new, as the creation has its order, the new creation has its order, and that order doesn't cease at the end of this age. Even heaven is a is a structured entity with ranks of angels and apostles, and the foundations of the city have has layers, and and so I, I, it, people are denying a, a a great deal when they deny structure and order uh, and leadership in the church. I just say that by, by way of preface because uh, this, this word is long, long overdue. And uh, these kinds of private expressions of, of Christianity, private religion like this, is, is not the religion of, of the Lord Jesus. The teaching here in this passage is this, that the, uh, the need to keep justice and order uh, requires Jehovah's people to be taught and, and judged. And this is this the need to keep justice. That means equity and right, right rule. The need to keep justice in order requires Jehovah's people to be taught and judged. And this effort is only sustainable by employing a, a, a plurality, a several uh, capable men. Uh, these men are appointed as a government under Jehovah and his chosen mediator, or you might say in this case a representative at, at this point, that's the that's the teaching, the requirement for keeping justice uh, in the house of God, keeping order in the house of God, and it's it's not it's not able to be done by any one mere man. Um, it must uh, it, it must be a shared responsibility, and so we'll look at the appointment of this government under Jehovah. Uh, there's several points here. I think there's three, right? Is there three or there are four points of the sermon? I think there may be. There's four points of the sermon. Let me get started. Jehovah's people require a government. And in this case, in the book of Exodus, the government is both that of the church 
and that of the state or nation. Israel is both a church and Israel is a nation. It is a theocracy with God being king. And uh, it requires a government because as we have seen already in the short narrative of, of uh, God's dealing with his people, uh, even during the 10 plagues, but then upon leaving, leaving Egypt and leading them in the wilderness, these people that are called and chosen and loved by God, redeemed by God, they are sinners. Israel is made up of sinners. And we have seen already the strife and the complaining, uh, not only against their neighbors, you might say, and Moses and all that, but against God. They complain not against Moses, but against God at Meribah, uh, where, the, where the bitter water, uh, waters were, and, and also at Marah. There was internal strife, that is to say, inside the nation, inside the church, there was, in, there was strife inside the people. And there was uh, external enemies. There were external enemies. The Amalekites had uh, come up uh, the rear of Israel and attacked. And uh, uh, war ensued. There was battle. And, uh, and so uh, the, the church nation Israel must be organized, rank on rank and file on file. They, when they came out, as I mentioned previous. Uh, preachings when they came out of Egypt, they came out rank on rank, file on file as an army, as an ordered uh, host of the, the Jehovah. Jehovah is the host uh, of armies. So all nations then, ever since uh, Noah's day, uh, in Genesis chapter 9, uh, coming out of the ark, every people on earth has had a government. Before that time, there was no government, and so they had a lot of violence. They had a lot of disorder. And uh, you see there, read, read about it in Genesis 6, where the Lord uh, regretted, he repented that he had made man, because things had gotten so very, very bad. But all nations need, uh, and all nations have had government, simply because all nations consist of fallen men, sons of Adam fallen. But now Israel, here in our passage is free. It's out of the domain of Egypt, out of the, governan the governance of, of, Egypt, of uh, Pharaoh, and we see that it is now being formed as a government. Jehovah is their God, and Jehovah is uh, Jehovah Nisi. He's their standard or banner, and he, they're learning that Jehovah is sufficient for all things. Are they thirsty? Jehovah provides water. Are they hungry? Jehovah provides manna and quail. Uh, are they, do they need protection? Jehovah is their shade by day uh, and a shield to them against the Amalekites. He's their all in all, and they're learning this. Uh, but, uh, and that's the way it is with a government under Jehovah. Jehovah is, is the all, every, it meets every need and every provision. But uh, the, way, the way that government is expressed in human terms, uh, we have a finite expression of that government in Moses. Moses is, a, is a, a finite man. Now, I will say that he was probably the most exquisitely trained man in all of the ancient world, uh, having received great benefit from Pharaoh's court, was multilingual, knew the ways of the desert as well as, uh, as Egypt and other nations, etc. But Moses is appointed as a leader and spokes, uh, uh, spokesperson by Jehovah's appointment. Uh, Moses has a very, very unique position in Israel. What we see here uh, then is that uh, there is a, a government uh, needed. They require the people. We, we who are God's people, require a government. Now under uh, the gospel, civil matters are under uh, the civil government. That is to say, secular matters belong to uh, the secular authorities, uh, but uh, the, ch the, the church matters belong to the session of elders, as we'll, we'll see here in a minute. But we need to be praying for all God-giving authority, even as uh, Elder Thomas prayed this evening, because they are God's provision for us. We mustn't look at them as something that is, uh, stands in the way of our having fun, uh, or uh, stand in the way of, of, our, of our, even our liberties, because our liberties, our true liberty, is always uh, in righteousness. Uh, true liberty is in obeying God and in obeying rightful authority. Unless, of course, they become abusive, but that's a special case. Anarchy is no option for any state. 
That's a dread option. Very dangerous. Nor any church. It's a, it, a church will not. I don't see how a church can fulfill, practically speaking, its appointed commission uh, to teach all that Christ had taught his disciples whatsoever he had taught them. And baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I just don't see how that could ever be done without some kind of process, some kind of agreement, consensus of leadership. After all, do two men walk together without agreement? It's impossible to get into a strife, to get into a fight. Uh, the, the church will be in tatters, but it must be organized. And so when we speak of having, uh, uh, oh, I have a deep faith and I love the Lord Jesus, but I just don't uh, see the need for an institutional church with any sort of adornment such as government and laws and bylaws and things like that. What we're really talking about is either ignorance or uh, I, I fear that most of this is not so well intended. It's, it's birthed out of rebellion. When you see Psalm 2, you see that that, that is the, the very, that's the very heart of, of the wicked, unregenerate. They, the Lord has them, as it were, at kings upon the earth, but they're fettered they're fettered to the kings of to the king of kings. They they do the the will of heaven uh, by constraint, not by love, but by constraint, because God is sovereign. And yet they bite, they bite, and they chafe, they chafe at that will, and they would rather break uh, those chains and tear their fetters apart. <laughs> they would rather do without government, and even even as they establish their own government, uh, forgetting, of course, that all governments. Are, are but a, a, a micro scale of the government of God over all things. Yeah. This is the this is the unreasonable the unreasonableness of fallen man and how very very disorderly we are. We're much more like Satan in this regard, who creates nothing and destroys everything and is king of anarchy. Jehovah's people require a government. The second point of the sermon is that leading all of Jehovah's people is an, is unsustainable. For one mere man, leading all of these people, uh, even if as capable as a leader as Moses, and Moses begins to wear, he begins to wear out here. Um, Moses and Aaron, of course, are led by God. A lot of the, the critical decisions about where to where to go and where to, when to camp, and, and all the Lord is leading them. So the very critical uh, leading of his nation is done by by God, uh, but God. Uh, meets and reveals his will through Moses. And Moses here is, and I want to be careful with this word. Uh, I don't want anyone to misunderstand this. But he meets, as in, in, uh, with Moses meets with the Lord Jehovah as a, uh, as a kind of a mediator uh, or as a go-between. I, I would say as, as a representative uh, better. But anyway, just be careful with that term because we certainly don't say that he mediates uh, prayer. <laughs> the, no, he, he is not. A, Moses is not a discerner of the heart, the way the Lord Jesus is a discerner of heart. It carries uh, carries our heart's desires and petitions to the Father on our behalf. That's the media, the only mediator between man and God. Uh, but he is, as it were, uh, in the middle here, uh, going back and forth. And of course, he is again a type of that true mediator, Jesus, uh, now ascended at the right hand of the Father. And adorning our prayers with with his with much incense. Uh, what we see here is Moses having a full day of of, div, of difficult labor, uh, from sun up to sundown. He is listening, and he is discerning. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure the people are asking questions, and they're going back and forth. They need to clarify. If you've ever had <laughs> if you've ever had meetings, sun up to sundown. It's highly unadvisable, especially meetings of this sort where it's an intense conflict of nature. It's best to have a relaxed schedule, have two or three hard cases a day. That's how most cases are done. But this is a very hard, this is a difficult labor. Leadership then involves two tasks. We see here what is meant by leadership is that there's a ruling or judging going on here. This would be... A uh, of civil cases, and Moses is here administering a kind of, of kingly office. And, and then there's teaching, which is a part of the prophetic office. So you already we begin to see the main facets 
of Christ's government uh, being uh, kingly and that he rules uh, prophetic, that he reveals his, his, his will to the nations through, through the Holy Spirit and his word and his priestly office and intercession. Uh, these are what would take, uh, these are the three legs of a stable stool for uh, all governments. All governments, all good governments uh, would be wise to pattern themselves uh, along kingly, kingly office, prophetic office, and priestly office. Uh, anyway, um, the teaching office or prophetic office would have would be uh, letting people know about Jehovah's ordinances. Is when when they would bring their sacrifices, um, uh, what the, the matters pertaining to the worship of God on the Sabbath, when not to work, when when to work, um, with all those animals marching in the wilderness and trained. Of course, there's going to be animals mixing up with animals. Whose animals are yours and whose animals are mine? There's a lot of contention there about uh, about uh, the ownership of the herds, and of course Jehovah's statutes. Now I want to I want to see I want you to see that this is clearly in this text that Moses is is teaching the people Jehovah's statutes. All right, now let that let that word sink into your ear, uh, because statutes are laws. Now, ordinances have to do with, uh, with ceremonies and things like that, but statutes are, are laws. And Moses certainly has the moral law in mind here. And what we need to note here, and note very emphatically, is that Israel had ordinances and statutes before the law was codified, before the covenant, uh, the law was given in a form of a covenant on Mount Sinai. All right, I'm going to spend a whole uh, a whole uh, preaching on this next time up. We're going to have to look at what this mean, what this means. The ceremonial aspects had to be taught. Uh, are your children circumcised? And Moses would have been very keen on that, as he almost <laughs> he almost got in trouble with the Lord. He had not circumcised his son before heading off to Egypt. Circumcision, Passover, all these things. Although the Passover it seems not to have been celebrated until they rejoined uh, the nation, rejoined Canaan. But the, certainly the Sabbath. But then the moral, the moral law, is what is being used here uh, to judge. <clears throat> now, um, we have to be very, very careful here because uh, in its, in its, uh, in the original form uh, given to us in our humanity, uh, that is to say, in Adam and Eve, created in the image of God, without stain, without sin. The natural law and the moral law agreed very, very much entirely. A complete agreement. After, after the fall, the natural law is something that is very difficult for fallen man to recompose. And yet Paul in Romans 2 argues that the, those are vest, there, are vested, there are vestiges there of that natural law where every, uh, every man, every woman can look upon another and see when that person is doing wrong. Wait a minute, you, you just stole that valuable uh, pen from your coworker. That's wrong, you shouldn't steal. Uh, well, but by what law? Where, well, everyone knows you shouldn't steal. Well, wait a minute, that's, that's his wife. Why are you asking her out for a date? No, he, everyone knows that that needs to be respected. Natural law is agreeable to this. Now. Moses has a resource and he has recourse in God to ask him and to clarify. But the people also need to understand and chime in. Otherwise, they're going to think, well, this, this kind of government is, is, is unjust, it's, it's cruel, it's tyrannical, etc. Uh, but I will remind, remind you that, that part of the reason that, that the Lord Jehovah, when he visited Abraham on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah, he taught him very many secrets and he wanted to express his will as to what he was doing because he knew that Abraham was a just man and a, and a righteous man and that he would teach his children the statutes and the ordinances of God, okay? And, and so Abraham and his descendants had that advantage. And Abraham, of course, in, uh, upon entering covenant with, with Jehovah, uh, there with, uh, uh, with his son, uh, Isaac, uh, he had all of his men, all of his tribe, all the men, uh, circumcised over 300, I think it's 300, 312 or something like that. So 
And that means to say that they're separated from the rest of the world and that they, Abraham would be teaching uh, his own family and his own tribe the ways of the Lord. There is law. There, there is law, moral law, in Israel. And, uh, of course, without law, the people are really without restraint. Their consciences would never disturb them. They'd be wild as beasts uh, in, this, in this wilderness. They, without restraint, uh, the law restraining at least uh, the wickedness of the nation outwardly, as, as even uh, uh, federal law does in America, or state law does on our highways, uh, the law restrains sin. And if without this, the people would be even worse than they were at Meribah and at Marah, and uh, more disabled uh, as, as, uh, as a nation. And of course, the more wicked the people were, the more work it would be for Moses to get back to some kind of state of normalcy. Now look, when, when the church acts up, the church's uh, resources are directed to the cure. And that, that keeps the church from doing a great amount of good work that it would otherwise be focused at. Evangelism, discipleship, uh, Moses and his elders are exhausted. It behooves everyone to go forward lawfully <laughs> and not, not to be justified by God, but for the sake of love to God and to his neighbor, and for the sake of, of an order, ordered creation under, uh, under Jesus, the faithful community must, must be ruled justly. Now, my, fr my friend, judging, I'll offer judging without instruction, uh, basically shames people. Who wants, who cares who's right and who's wrong? It, 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 that's not why we help uh, discern between the right and the wrong here. We discern between the right and the wrong so people will improve. Not that one guy would, would wear a, a, you know, orange for the rest of his life in a federal prison. We have no interest in doing that. Neither does the Lord. We do this so that uh, uh, people will be informed and make the better choices and, and return to, to a peaceful relation with their neighbor and with God. Judging, however, without instruction, it just shames people. But then uh, teaching uh, without judging just excuses disorder in the church. And so there, ha there has to be both. And those twin fo that, the, the twin forks there are common to every government, and, and, and it, it remains in the church today. Um, teaching without judgment begets disorder, sin, uh, even crime in a nation. A leader rules and teaches the people on behalf of God. God has ordained it. It wasn't his idea. It's not the leader's idea. Oh, yeah, he senses a call to the, to the ministry, senses a call to be an elder or deacon, but... Uh, that, that is not his call. It is God's call and the church's call. The Spirit has his voice in the church, and so he's there by God's authority. And we learn from Matthew 18 that uh, the authority can bind and loosen the church. It can address the conscience on behalf of God. As long as he is speaking the words of God and judging rightly, he speaks for God. And so the reading of the Word of God is the Word of God, even though it's in the English language and it's been translated that is to say, it's been manipulated by translators, and still it's good enough. An English Bible is still a Bible. You're not reading it in its original, but it's the Word of God. And a faithful preaching is the Word of God. All you have to do is listen carefully, and if, it's been, if, the, if the passage has been explained carefully and laid in properly in its context, you may be sure that God is speaking to you. Uh, and so these authorities can bind and loose in Israel. They can address the conscience on behalf of the ultimate judge of all, which is God. It's not to say that they're infallible, but God will help us in our judging and in our teaching. If the workload, however, becomes too heavy, one leader, he cannot, he will not be able to sustain it alone. Any leader, regardless of his age, and of course, Moses was 80 years old here. Uh, any leader will eventually become exhausted, and the people will also become exhausted and exasperated, waiting around all day long <laughs> to, to get their, 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 their case resolved. Uh, they're not working, they're not tending their animals, etc. That's an exasperating thing. The people, of course, when they approach 
uh, for resolution of their cases, they have some duties. Primarily what's, requ what's required of, of, of people in the church and under the civil government here in Israel is that they have faith. The fa that, fa that they have faith that God is with them and that God has is wise and he's good and he places authority uh, in their midst for a reason. And they, they are to believe that God will help them as they approach the ordinances. And without that, really, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so how are you going to get any benefit from God, including some kind of equity of relief in, in a dispute with a neighbor, unless you have faith? Everything depends on you trusting Jehovah, who is altogether proved faithful and trustworthy in everything he's done. And uh, the people are to prepare and think thoughtfully of their cases. They, they wait in turn for their appointment. Uh, they learn patience with one another. There's other work to be done in the church. You're, you're not, you're not the, at the, the center of the universe. Uh, other things happen in the church. And when the church's focus and resources are, 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 are given to a particular problem, well, you just need to, you just need to understand that, that we are finite. And that also uh, is done under the, under the sovereign and providential hand of the Lord. He's, he's our shepherd, as we just saying. He's our shepherd. He leads us well. So we must learn Jehovah's ways from uh, our leaders. And this will, uh, of course, I mentioned that there's some, some teaching to be done. Paul tells Timothy that teaching involves correction. And uh, that may involve reproof. Now, we go light with reproof, I think, around here. There are not too many times that we really had to reprove somebody. I think I probably, in my 13 years here, I probably have reproved people probably less than two dozen times. That's a very low incidence of reproof. Uh, and, of course, training in righteousness. Training in right. You notice the word training, and that's very much a Presbyterian word. A training, you can teach people over Zoom. That's not training. Training is not only teaching, but actually being with them and leading them. You train a child by actually taking them along and showing them the steps. It's a very intimate relationship. And the way that the leaders do that is to be among them and to show them good character, uh, their faithfulness and attendance, their love to them in their prayers, uh, listening to them carefully, uh, encouraging them. Okay, those are the, the, ways, the, ways, the things that leaders do uh, among the flock. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he sees a problem with this. <laughs> He's very direct. He says, what you're doing is not good. That, that's a pretty heavy thing to say, but, you know, the guy is a Midianite. He doesn't have any social skills, I think. Anyway, he, he sees that what, he, what Moses is headed for is exhaustion. And what the people are seeing for, heading for is exhaustion. And, and, and you can't have an exhausted people that never make it to Canaan, right? So Jethro gives him advice. Uh, and he does so in a way that leaves uh, room for God to judge whether this is right or wrong. Um, and so it's a contingent uh, of advice. And, but the most amazing thing here is that Moses <laughs> is listening to the voice of a rustic shepherd. He's a herdsman, I mean, and he's a Midianite uh, priest. Uh, he doesn't know Jehovah as well as Moses does. He is, hasn't had any, part, any of the education that Moses has. Uh, and, and yet Moses is so humble as to acknowledge Jethro's good sense. That is, that is a high mark of a leader. He listens, and he listens critically, and if, if it makes sense, he'll go ahead forward. Augustine uh, said that, that doctors in the church, meaning teachers, doctors must be docile. It's a play on words in the English. Even in the, in the Latin, it shows forth as a, as a pun. Doctors must be docile, meaning that leaders must be able to be led themselves, or teachers must be teachable. Uh, and, and this, again, is something that we must look at somebody. Is, is this leader still learning? Ah, he's teachable. Can he be corrected? Is he open to advice even from a, a man such as Jethro, who doesn't really, he has no rank in Israel, and he certainly doesn't have the certification that Moses does, credentials with Jehovah. Uh, but uh, we're, we're getting to see here a portrait of, of a leader, and I say that because we're always up, you know, always up for uh, 
electing deacons and, and elders, and this ought to be a, cons a, con a consistent uh, exercise in your own mind. And I press on to finish this sermon. Leading all, third point of the sermon, leading all of Jehovah's people is made easier by sharing the workload. <clears throat> now, this is Jethro's advice. Now, you don't have to be the wisest man in the Near East to offer this. This is just common sense. But the nature of the work uh, remains the same as does the scope of the work. Uh, the, all of the people need, need to be ministered to. This is a, a people that is dearer to the heart of God. And there, there can't be any shortcuts here. We can't say, well, this is a, <clears throat> I think what we're going to do is we're going to prioritize the children because they're more teachable. And as these old cranky people, no, I don't know. No, 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 you have to deal with all of us. It's none of your business. It's God's redeemed people. The workload, however, is now distributed uh, among other men. And now this forms a government. The government is organized. The work then differs case by case according to its difficulty. Um, easier matters are taken up by the less experienced men um, or perhaps the less skilled. Difficult matters are brought up to, to Moses. And so it, it seems to me here that uh, what we have here is not only a partitioning of work, but perhaps an appeal process. If, again, very orderly. Why? Because we're finite and the lower judges might, being less skilled, might, might be prone to error. And Presbyterians are always very keen on a minority opinion. We have to respect the minority opinion because if we, if we know our Christian theology and the history of theology, uh, extreme minority appear, uh, opinions in church history have, have been precisely the orthodox, the biblical position. So we, we have to listen and we have to discern. Anyway, the difficult matters are brought to Moses not because he's skilled in, in Egyptian matters, but because he has God's ear. He, he, Moses speaks with Jehovah God face to face. And that's another, that's, that's altogether uh, another advantage. That is an infinite resource. You know, you know, in this, even in the Old Testament church, in the wilderness, that God will lead his people infallibly and wisely and justly uh, despite all the murmurings and all the complainings of, of, of the people. This is a real gift. In this, in this sense, this government is a gift from God. The Moses alone, though, continues to consult with Jehovah face to face. The distribution of the work proposal uh, is, of course, I mentioned already, it's, it seems to be subject to Jehovah's approval. Uh, Jethro means to help, but he's not, crit he's not criticizing. He, he, doesn't, he says this in a way that wants, he wants to help Moses. <laughs> Just, he's not there to, to criticize Moses and to uh, cause him to be uh, to lose heart, to be discouraged. There's a way we can give advice which we can very greatly discourage people. We ought not to do that. When we give advice, if, if it's, it's by correction, we, we explain to them, look we're, look, we're looking for your good. We're looking for the good of the church. That's why we speak. It's not that, that you're wrong and I'm right. It's just that if this is a better way, let's go. This, let's try this. Jethro means to help, not to criticize. And Jethro, though older, he doesn't belittle Moses. He could have said, well, look, I'm your father-in-law and I gave you this wife here. You, know, you owe me something, right? No, he doesn't do that. You know, he himself is a just man. Jehovah's blessing then uh, is always to be waited upon. And uh, even as we seek the Lord, uh, we, we ask him for his help, and we ask for the blessing on our decisions. Um, now, a common sense uh, is something that should be welcomed in the church. Uh, even when, uh, if, if someone in the neighborhood should give us a, some advice about the parking lot, uh, or, or parking out front, or, uh, or about uh, trimming the, the branches of the trees, uh, our posture should be, well, thank you, I, I, I'm glad that you have some some knowledge in these things, and let me consider these things and bring them to the deacons or bring them to the elders. We should be open to common sense uh, in the governing of the church, especially when it's very much compatible with God's word as, as the Lord leads. All right. I, I, I want to I say one thing here, though, that in no way did Moses, in, 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 in no way did Moses outsource this judging. In other words, Israel is a nation, and uh, it is going to be a covenanted nation. It's an orderly arrangement. 
with God himself at the head. And so they have, as I mentioned at least twice already in the sermon, they have every resource, they have help and promised help. And so we need to be very careful whenever we go outside the structure that God provides. I'm not going to condemn, uh, automatically condemn, say, for instance, independent biblical counselors. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. But I will say this. We ought to be very careful and ask ourselves the question, why are we going to an independent authority who's not even Presbyterian, who doesn't even have a view of the Ten Commandments uh, that we do? Uh, it seems to me, it seems to be not, not God-honoring. So I'm not going to condemn it, but it seems to be more than superfluous. It seems to be challenging God's wisdom in the church. Uh, enough said. Just, just be careful with it. Leading all of God's Jehovah's people is made easier by sharing the workload. And we have to keep in mind that having the word, having the spirit, having able men, we should be able to handle a great deal of difficulty in the church. The fourth point is this. Leading all of Jehovah's people requires qualified men. Qualified men. Uh, men of ability, men that have a knowledge of Jehovah's ordinances and statutes. Um, and not only that, but it's, it's one thing to know these ordinances and statutes. It's another thing altogether to take that and apply it, to apply it wisely with discretion to specific cases. Though there's just two branches. One is speculative knowledge of God and his ways. The other is a practical knowledge of God and his ways. And uh, the church has always, in every age, esteemed the practical knowledge as the proof in the pudding of goodness. In other words, all of theology should be here for us to gird us on to live well before God. And if our theology is not finding a practical fruit boots on the ground, then it is not, it, it is really not God honoring because the, the whole aim of this is to show forth a new creation, a new nation uh, under, under God who has redeemed his people and given him his Holy Spirit and written his law in, in their hearts. You see, and so it must find practical expression. And that's what we're looking for. The whole, there's a whole branch of theology, of practical theology, that had been practically uh, abandoned by Protestants for at least two, almost 150 years, and it's called casuistry. It's just now being revived in some of the better Reformed works, where they have uh, a speculative theology combined, even in one volume, with the practical theology, and the study of the moral law under theology proper. But before then, I, I won't get into this whole thing, but it's got me quite, quite concerned uh, that we had given up on the study of moral law uh, as late as one well, of the last, there was a French theologian named Amarald who, who, had, who, had, who wrote a systematic theology and it contained the moral law, but that was, the, that was in the 18th century. And people don't understand that we're here to practice our faith. To, to, to yield fruit in, in Christ's vineyard. That's why we have theology, to live well before God, not to fill our heads with a whole lot of stuff. Anyway, men of ability, men of ability, men of godly character who fear God, not man pleasers, not afraid to say something to this guy because he has a thousand more camels than you do. He's going to override your tent at night if you turn your back on him. No, you must not fear man. You must fear God. Prove him trustworthy. Give him an assignment. See how he does. Does he, does he falter? Does he, does he not deliver? Is he confused? Does he have the fire in his belly? Will he get the work done? Will he initiate work? Is it reliable or does he have to be watched every minute? Reliable men. Showing up for work on time, not covetous, knowing his place, keeping justice, no bribes. Wow, what have I got here? Uh, now we can study 
we could, we could put together a whole history of governments that have been bribed and lost by that. It's easy to pervert through bribes. Uh, Moses, then the prophet here, uh, appointed the leaders from all the people. Here there's no discrimination. He's to look over the whole of the field. He's to look at over all the candidates and to organize and to appoint leaders to judge cases. Uh, let's start from the bottom. Tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Now it seems to me that this is a very high Episcopal practice where Moses top down is selecting the leaders. But in um, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, I'll just read a couple of verses here so we understand how it's difficult, how you have to be very careful not to read too much into a passage when there's a, a parallel passage explaining more light. Uh, Deuteronomy 1, verses 9 through 18. At the time uh, I said to you, I am not able to bear you with my, by myself, Moses is saying, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven, May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you and your strife? Choose your tribes, choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, Commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers, judge righteously between man and his brother, uh, or the alien who is with them. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. So the people had the choice of appointment uh, of their representatives. Now that is, that is Presbyterian government through and through. That is the best government in the world. That's the best government in the world. And that's about as best as we can do uh, in the civil realm as well. These men are then to serve as elders. Note especially that uh, in their judging, they're not, they're not sitting together when they're judging. They're judging severally. They have authority to judge cases by themselves. And our, our book of church order says that the, that the rule of an elder, his authority is, is both constituted jointly as in the session and severally. And we forget this. So you are to honor the opinion of your elders, even when he's not seated at session. It is, you have, you have to recognize the authority that God has placed in the church. Israel even had elders while in Egypt. When Moses first got to Egypt, before confronting, uh, confronting uh, Pharaoh, he, he met with his elders to announce the agenda. And these elders also would then distinguish themselves God would distinguish him from among the rest of the people because they would ascend and meet with Moses and Aaron and Jehovah on Mount Sinai. Okay, again, this is not a democracy. No, no. God distinguishes his officers. Work is official. It's by divine appointment. Um, this order here in the wilderness seems to have been a provisional government for Israel until settling in Canaan, then they would rearrange according to their cities and then appoint judges, and that begins the period of the judges. So just keep that in mind that a government, even if it's instituted by, by God in a national forum here on Mount Sinai, can be provisional, and it can have some flexibility once the people are in the land. Jethro then was useful. He was old. He was not really needed in this situation, so he returns to Midian. He goes back alone without Zipporah and the two but uh, these qualifications leading uh, Jehovah's people, you, you, we need qualified men. Um, we need men that are well practiced in personal holiness, uh, in, in daily prayer before the Lord, in, 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 
and reading Scripture and loving and knowing Scripture and growing in the knowledge of Scripture and in discernment and in and giving increasingly difficult assignments, both in the classrooms to teach and uh, among uh, helping others in the, in the church. And so Paul sets forth the qualifications for elders and, and later deacons in 1 Timothy 3. And so really, my friends, just as the moral law has not changed, the government of God's people has not changed significantly in 3,500 years. This is the very essence of governing people and governing them well, well, justly, wisely. Let me conclude this sermon. I know it's long. Indwelling sin in God's people and the work of keeping good order requires Jehovah's people to be taught and judged by a plurality of qualified men. They're all peers in this. These qualified men are elders in the church and are appointed as a government under Jehovah and his chosen mediator. We're going to be speaking much more about that mediator later in future sermons. My friends, Christian education is critical. Christian education, you, you who are teachers in the church, you play a critical role in not just informing our people, but in keeping justice and order in the church. And so whatever you are before them, uh, let, you, let your character be one is, uh, who knows justice, who knows good order. Uh, it, is, it is no small thing to be in charge of teaching others and the, the role of Christian education. I don't know how you do it. You do it by discipleship with the hands of ministers or helping one another at home as fathers and mothers. It is, it is you're helping to keep order in the home and you are helping to keep order in the church. The church needs to be developing leaders on an ongoing basis. Now, it's almost like we shouldn't really need a program for, uh, for developing uh, elders and deacons. People should be asking, what book can I read next? I, I need to know more about church uh, polity and, 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 and the, the government and structure of a, of a well-run church. I, 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 need to, I need to know uh, uh, the moral law of God better so I can, I can exercise some discernment in casuistry. Okay, we need to be talking about both like that as leaders in God's church as they used to. It was just, what I'm saying tonight is it used to be common. The church session then is God's acting government and it serves for your good. We, we're your servants. We work hard. We work long. We hope to work well. But when we don't, uh, again, the, the appeal process is always there. And you pray to God. He will always make it right. The judge of all the earth, the earth will make it right for you. You can appeal in your prayers. And the Lord will give you the grace either to bear it, persevere through injustice, or he'll change the circumstances in his church. Uh, but in, in every case, you must... You must please your elders and submit to God uh, by their representative's rule over you in the church. The same goes for secular authority. Now, we can praise the Lord for Jesus. He is the true mediator. We'll, get, we'll have much more material on that in future sermons. He is the head of the church. It's sole mediator. Jesus is the one who really leads, and he, he is the one who... who who gives graces and gifts. And he is the one who uh, tonight meets us in our wilderness and gives us real food and real drink in his body and in his blood. He knows what we need. He knows how to provide it. He knows uh, how to provide the church with its right leaders. He is all together, all and all to us. And uh, that's why we praise him. And that's why we believe and continue uh, as his people, uh, well-ordered, not losing faith, not losing hope. Uh, even though we sin, the Lord still uses us as his instruments in the church. Let's have the elders come forward. Thank you.
this section here of First Corinthians, I turn to chapter 11 all the time. I, I don't understand how so many can divorce uh, the faith and the disorder, the disorder of the Corinthian believers at Corinth from today's necessity in this ordinance to judge ourselves. The very reason is that this people were so disordered. They had gifts, they had graces, but they were all against one another. They were in factions and they they needed they needed leadership. They they needed Paul's discerning leadership in his epistles. He wasn't there to govern them at that time anymore. But the Lord provides his Holy Spirit. And that spirit is powerful to guide his people and to give us his light. And if we're a Christian, that spirit has inscribed the very moral law in your heart. And so especially when you are confused or need direction, uh, you are to pray to God for a greater uh, the graces of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit as he is your counselor and your comforter and your, he will convict you of sin as well. Now, my friends, when we are convicted of sin, which I hope would be a, a daily occurrence with you, uh, then uh, we have two, two recourses. We can, either excuse, uh, we can either excuse ourselves, but if it's really sin, we don't do our consciences uh, any good, and we harden ourselves. That's a very dangerous thing. But if we are honest with ourselves and see that we have not done justly and loved mercy and walked humbly with our God, if we confess that, you know, God is more than happy to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's, it's only hypocrisy that gets somebody in trouble with this table. Don't, don't any of you think that you are not worthy because you've had a bad week? That was, by the way, that was my posture growing up Roman Catholic. Weekly communion. If I thought I was a good boy that week, I'd take the supper. If I thought I was a bad boy, I did some bad things this week, I, I would refrain. That's a very poor understanding of what the Lord has for us here. The Lord has himself for us. He's our help. He's our wisdom. He's our sanctification. He's our, our, all our righteousness. He is our, our all in all. And so this is just fuel for pilgrim wilderness uh, pilgrims. This is pilgrim food for those that are on their way to Canaan. And I know if you, if you see that yourself starved and needy, this meal is for you. Don't hold back because you're a sinner. And if you're a hypocrite, don't skip the meal. Take a, take a moment now and even say, Lord, I, I've been very wrong. Forgive me, but I, I need you because you're my, you're my only life. And you can recover. The Lord wants you to attend this meal. Don't skip it because you've sinned. All right. Let me read the words of institution. Of institution. And this is an ordinance. This is, this is along with the statutes and the teachings of what we are to do. The ordinances are some things that we receive are those things, those ceremonial things that we receive from God uh, that report up to the second commandment uh, and the moral law, but they're positive law, and, and, they, and they, uh, they're here as an ordinance to be kept carefully because God loves to meet us in these ordinances. That's why we do them. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, Corinthians that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke the bread and said this is my body which is for you you do this in remembrance of me at the same way he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes uh, again this is the last table it, 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 it is not a secular table it's a holy table, because this table will be with us until the Lord's uh, coming, and he will join us as the host and minister to us at that table. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. See, there's self-judging. Self-judging, the Christian has no need of anyone to teach them because they have the Holy Spirit. 
And this exercise in the wilderness, okay, we, we, we appoint a government, but were we more pliable in the hands of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't even need that. Let him judge himself, examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are sick, weak, ill. Some have died. But if we are judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Even when we make a mistake, it's not the end of our soul. It's not the end of our world. The Lord will discipline us according to the tenets of the Davidic covenant. When the sons heir, he'll visit their, their, their sins with stripes, but he'll never, uh, never remove his loving kindness from, from his own children. Let's pray. Now, Lord, uh, these uh, ordinary elements, bread and wine, quite common, but in your hands and by your blessing, they become for us an ordinance given, Lord, for strength, uh, for encouragement, Lord, for clarity, for building up of the body in love. And Lord, so we pray that you would uh, bless and sanctify the bread and sanctify the wine to your own holy purpose, that this might be come for us, the nutrition, spiritual nutrition, the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus. Feed us spiritually, and then we pray in Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.